Today we're concluding our series called Be Different. For the past several weeks, we've been looking at a letter sent by the Apostle Peter to Christians who were displaced from their homes. And one of the major themes in this letter was a call for these Christians to live differently than those they lived around. Their goal was to live and relate in such a way that other people would see their good deeds and they would praise and honor God because of their lives. And in this series, we've already looked at two major problems that are working against these first century Christians and all who follow Christ today. The first of these major problems was the fact that we live in a world marred by sin. Our environment works against us as we try to follow God. And then the second problem that we've talked about is that even though we've been made right with God by what Jesus has done, we still have hearts that are bent towards sin. Our own hearts work against us as we try to follow God. And if this isn't enough opposition already, today we're looking at the third factor that really affects us as we try to live differently. That is that there is an enemy of different. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We're at the close of Peter's letter and he leaves them with a final thought. He basically says, Be on your guard. There's an enemy about. He's looking to devour you and your life. So today we'll actually take a look at who this enemy is and how we can deal with him. So let's start with the who. As we read the scriptures, the enemy has many names. We most commonly call him the devil or Satan. Sometimes we call him the enemy. And he is described as a fallen high-ranking angel who led about a third of the angels in rebellion against God. He's a super intelligent being with an extensive network of helpers. And these helpers in him seek to oppose the things of God and those who have decided to follow him. These helpers are often fallen angels that the Bible calls demons. Now, there are several responses that people have as they read the Bible and come across passages that talk about the devil or demons. Largely, your response will be determined by your worldview. That's your set of assumptions about how the world works. Your worldview is like a pair of tinted glasses through which you see the world. One person might have glasses with a naturalistic tint not believing that there is anything outside of what can be measured or seen whenever they come across these verses, they try to look for another explanation outside of the the supernatural when they look at verses about the enemy. A, A naturalistic or materialistic worldview only believes in natural causes, and a person wearing glasses with that tint will filter out the supernatural causes and influences they see in Scripture. Anything supernatural basically would be Uh, put in the category automatically that I call not true and not real. True is an idea that you agree with. An idea becomes real when it affects the way you live. If someone believes something is not true and not real, then they don't agree with that idea, and therefore they just don't do anything with it. Another person might put on their true but real tinted glasses. Many Christians actually fall into this category. They take to heart what is said and believe what they read in the Bible to be factually true, but there are things that don't factor into their day-to-day life. All things considered, uh, it's practically irrelevant to them. And still, another person puts on their true and real tinted glasses. Their response is accepting the Bible as, as what it describes about the enemy and then actually using that in their lives. It's actionable information. It affects their perspective of the world and it fills out their worldview. 
So a few weeks ago, my family and I drove across the country to visit family in Oklahoma. In total, I think we drove about 3,400 miles, and it was fun to see the country and to see the small towns and what they look like in the different states as we were going. And on our way back, I saw something that was really interesting uh, put on a water tower on the side of the highway. The town's mascot, turns out, was a red devil, and so there was this pretty poorly drawn picture of a red devil's face uh, put on the side of the water tower, you know, one with horns that looks kind of nice, not too mischievous. You know, I almost turned around to get a picture of it, but the fact that I still had 1,200 miles left to go and four kids in the back, I never even looked back. (laughs) It reminded me, though, that we live in a culture that doesn't factor in the spiritual reality that affects our lives every day. To many, the reality that they experience and they see is the only one that's real. When it comes to things like the devil, uh, their view of him is so trivial that they're comfortable making it a mascot for their town and putting it on a water tower for everyone to see. Uh, To them, it's just silly superstition. And that got me thinking that this culture that has caused people to view the supernatural and specifically the enemy this way is the one that I grew up in. You know, I once thought like this too, and I can see how easy it is to think like this. We've been steeped in a culture that has a strong bias against the supernatural realm having an effect on our lives. We need to be cautious, though, as we approach Scripture to not read our biases into what's written. Instead, we want the Scriptures to shape our perspective and transform our lives. I encourage you to discern your unique tint for your glasses. Regardless of your personal tent, though, it's really clear from this verse that Peter is warning Christians that they have a real and ruthless enemy who is looking to cause them irreparable personal harm. He says that the enemy is like a lion looking for someone to devour. And I don't, I don't know how you bounce back from being devoured by a lion. But what this shows is that Satan's goal isn't simply to harass or annoy His goal is our destruction. His goal is for us to live a wasted life. And just like the enemy needed to be a factor for the first century Christians, he needs to be a factor for us because we live in enemy territory. Colossians 1 verses 13 through 14 says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Christ's followers are Satan's enemies because they once lived under his dominion. But when someone accepts the free gift of forgiveness and salvation through Jesus Christ, they change their spiritual home address. They no longer live under his rule and his dominion of darkness. Instead, they call God's kingdom their true home with God as their true king. While the spiritual home address has changed, our physical location stays the same. So we remain on earth to do God's work behind enemy lines. So today, I wanted to give you three survival tips for navigating enemy territory. The first tip is this, pay attention. The first thing that Peter tells them in this verse is to be alert and of sober mind. The word sober mind literally means to have a mind that is not under the influence of intoxicants. This includes faulty worldviews and ideas and wrong perceptions of the world. And the command is to have a mind that is able to be alert and watchful. In fact, whenever you see the word sober mind, it often has the connotation of being watchful. You need to to make sure you're alert. Do not be under the influence of anything that will cloud your judgment, 
or alter your perspective so that you can be watchful for the enemy's attacks. But why did Peter feel the need to remind them of this? I mean, if we were camping in a war zone, it should be pretty easy for us to remember that we're in enemy territory and that there's danger. And we shouldn't need to be reminded that there's an enemy around that could cause us harm. But we easily forget that we're in enemy territory. And that's because our enemy isn't visible. And he prefers it that way. Ephesians 6.12 says this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This is an invisible war that is happening all around us. And when you can't see the enemy or the damage he's causing to your friends, it's really easy to forget that we're in the middle of enemy territory. Now, my time in Oklahoma last month, it was great. It did feel a little backwards to drive away from the beach for a vacation, but I know personally I need a little bit of time away from Huntington Beach, and it reminds me of how amazing this town really is. I mean, often as I think about how the temperature is pretty much awesome, 49 weeks out of the year, uh, how palm trees grow up like weeds and how there aren't very many bugs, I have to fight for perspective about the spiritual state of this town and the people that live here. The beauty of this place can lull you into a false sense of security because we actually live in the spiritual Serengeti. Now, the Serengeti is a region in Africa known for its large lion population and pretty harsh climate. As I read 1 Peter 5, 8, described here, it says, Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. This sounds more like the Serengeti with its lions than the beach to me. However, looking for lions as we step out of our front doors is not a regular part of our routine. I mean, in our minds, real dangerous lions are 8,000 miles away or more in Africa. And so it's easy to overlook the enemy's influence in our day-to-day life. Tell me, though, if this sounds familiar. You wake up, maybe you overslept a little bit, um, you, you feel a little drowsy, kind of groggy, and you just, you just run to whatever you have to do first. Maybe you overslept. Uh, there seems to be this cloud hanging over you. In the morning, you miss your regular time and the Bible reading um, and, and prayer, and you hurry just into your day. You, you wake up, get ready, and go into your day. Something that day might seem off with your spouse or with your family or friends, And you just can't pinpoint it. And then you get to the end of the day feeling like most of it had been wasted thinking about yourself, wondering what had happened. Now, this is a typical day when the enemy is prowling. He's preparing for the perfect opportunity to strike. These are days when the enemy is setting us up to be devoured. And this actually happened to me last Friday. I typically take one day off each week to rest and uh, get recharged with my family It's a day we really look forward to because we try to do something fun together as a family. And the enemy absolutely wasted my last Friday. I woke up, felt pretty pretty groggy. And then as I continued on in the day, I was just very me-focused. We didn't do a lot as a family. And by the end of the day, I realized I'd been a little too harsh with my kids. And something felt off between my wife and I. Honestly, I ended the day, I was not encouraged. I was discouraged and definitely not recharged. And after I prayed and asked for God's help, my attitude radically changed. But it wasn't until about nine o'clock at night that I realized, oh, I haven't spent time with God. I haven't even thought about the fact that this could be an enemy attack. And so at nine o'clock that night when I prayed, my attitude pretty dramatically changed. 
Now, I wasn't devoured completely that Friday, but I was being stalked. One day like that doesn't usually raise alarms in our minds, but the danger is when that one day turns into a string of days like that that changes the trajectory of our lives and sends us off in the wrong trajectory. We're in enemy territory, and we need to pay attention. There is real danger lurking behind the scenes of even the most routine days. The enemy prowls around looking for opportunities to attack, which is why we need survival tip number two. We need to plan for the attack. So growing up, I heard something that we've probably all heard before. It's if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. I personally was a winger. I wouldn't spend time planning ahead, so I ended up reacting to things as they came up, whether it was public speaking or relationships, even some of my early jobs. I would just wing my way through and try to make it happen. I tried to do a good job, of course, but in the end, I was just kind of winging it. When I got to college and then later went into the workforce, that ability didn't take me very far at all. And I had to go through the painstaking process of learning, of relearning, actually, how to plan. My heavy reliance on my ability to remember things or to plan in the moment ended up being an unsuccessful strategy when more pressure and responsibility was placed on me. And if the enemy is going to attack, I don't want my success to be determined by my ability to plan from scratch in the moment of attack. In fact, it would be foolish to think that we could wander through the Serengeti and think, oh, if I come across a lion, I'll just do what comes naturally. In order to successfully resist, we really need to have a plan for the attack Uh, for how we will respond to these different types of attacks from the enemy. Peter actually gives us just that, a plan of action for one of the most common attacks that we will face as we live in this world. I'd like to play a video for you uh, of how lions attack. Let's watch. Come on. Come on, kitty. Just leave him. Okay. (laughs) Oh man, that'll get your heart rate going. A common attack is one that induces fear. That guy's attitude, if you notice, changed very quickly when he became afraid. He went from almost taunting this extremely large animal, saying, hey kitty, immediately after it roared, saying, okay, basically, I'll sit down and leave. You can even hear the truck go into reverse as soon as it roars. And this is the image of a roaring lion that that Peter's trying to draw to our minds about who the enemy is. I mean, what a helpful depiction of who the enemy is and what his nature is really like. And everything that the lion did was intentional. Because of their extreme size, they can't maintain speed for very long. And so they actually roar to cause hesitation in their prey. They do that as they charge to get them to make a bad decision. And in person, these roars are said to be so deep and loud that it reverberates through your core. I mean, this is a frightening and disorienting experience. And in military terms, what the lion is doing is referred to as shock and awe. Now, shock and awe is a tactic based on the use of overwhelming power and spectacular displays of force to paralyze the enemy's perception of the battlefield and destroy their will to fight. And this is such an interesting definition to me because it states the goal as paralyzing the enemy perception of the battlefield and destroying their will to fight. So the enemy might not even have the necessary forces to win, 
But their display of force itself is disorienting. It's a battle plan with an emotional response. And stirring up fear in our hearts and minds is the enemy's version of shock and awe. It's his roar. His goal is to get us to leave God out of the different situations that we encounter in life. The opposite of faith isn't doubt. It's actually fear. Not the feeling of fear, but acting in fear is the actual opposite of faith. When something causes us to act in fear, we are looking at the situation without including God in our perspective. Acting in fear is the same as no faith. Fear itself is a a common human experience, and it's something we typically experience individually. However, four months ago, when a virus caused our country to close its borders and our state to issue stay-at-home orders, we all experienced a collective roar. This was a national and global, oh no, moment. Since then, our minds went reeling and our perceptions of the battlefield were skewed into thousands of different directions. Some feared what their financial futures would look like. Parents fear for their their kids' scholastic future, and now they worry about their own ability to help their kids succeed, teaching them from home. And still, many fear the virus itself. The danger with living in fear is that it draws our focus back to the physical world rather than on the spiritual reality working behind the scenes. We look to what is tangible to give us security and stability. And it doesn't cut it. In the end, it doesn't cut it. Instead of a fear response, what we actually need is a faith that stands firm. 1 Peter 5 verse 9 says, Resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. A faith that stands firm like we read here requires a current relationship with God. Apart from the Holy Spirit living inside of us, we cannot overcome fear. Our greatest source of strength comes from the Holy Spirit living inside of us. He wants to give us courage to face our fear that starts from the inside. He wants us to be able to depend on him to face the difficulties that we see in life, rather than looking only to what we can see with our own eyes. And although I have no plans personally of encountering lions in the wild, I got curious about how you would survive if you were attacked by a lion. And what I found was really interesting. Here's what I found. Being charged by a lion when you're on foot is extremely frightening. Yeah, that that makes sense. It is difficult to stop yourself from bolting, but that is likely to prompt an attack. It is vital to stand your ground. Most charges are mock charges, so you will usually be fine. And remember, hold your ground. Never run or turn your back. I got that from an article called How to Survive a Lion Attack from discoveredwildlife.com. And just so that you know this works in the real world, here's a video of someone being charged by a lion. Did you hear what he said? He said, don't run, don't run. Can you imagine how counterintuitive that would sound as a lion is charging you? And often the way God would want us to respond seems pretty counterintuitive to the information we're looking at in a scary situation. But our faith grows firmer as we see God come through when we respond to what we see in a way that we know he would want. 
We only know what that is, though, as we spend time with him through reading the Bible and praying. This is the strength that enables us to stand firm when the lion is charging us. And a firm faith comes from a current relationship. Now, my time spent in Bible reading and prayer is the first step for me in paying attention to the attack and seeking guidance for my personal vulnerabilities. Another major factor in my plan of attack is memorizing specific verses that I know will be helpful whenever an emotion pops up, like fear or anger, worry or dread. In college, actually, I memorized this passage of Scripture that we're looking at today. And since then, it's been a consistent reminder to me that I do actually live in enemy territory and that I need to be ready for the attack. In my experience, having verses memorized for specific situations and emotions has been the single most helpful tool for me in the moment of attack that helps me turn my perspective back to God. So for you, what is your plan to keep your relationship with God current? And how do you know that your relationship with God is current? Well, one way to know is how quickly you turn to him in prayer when things don't go the way you would want or when things go wrong. A faith that stands firm also requires a current relationship with others. Fear turns our gaze from God to ourselves. In the middle of attack, it's really easy to only think about ourselves. We're under attack. We don't have the perspective to realize that other people are undergoing a similar attack. Because of our limited perspective, it's really easy for us to become discouraged and feel isolated. That's why he says in verse 9, he says, Because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kinds of suffering. Every Christ follower has the same enemy who is working to discourage and devour them. Rather than letting fear turn your focus inward and isolate you from other people, focus on how you can help and encourage others. As we begin to come back together after this initial shock and awe of the coronavirus, I do believe that our relationships will be tested. So keep fostering loyalty with others and towards the church. 1 Peter 4.8 says, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. We want our lives to foster genuine love towards each other. This is often done by serving others and the church. Loving people in practical ways grows our loyalty to them, and serving the church grows our loyalty to it and its people. The outward focus caused by serving actually allows us to value our similarities as brothers and sisters in Christ rather than focusing on the minor differences of opinion and experience. This is helpful because in the middle of enemy territory, we don't sweat the small stuff. Considering we live in the spiritual Serengeti, one attack isn't all that we'll face, and standing firm is hard work. There is safety in numbers. And in the Serengeti, this is actually a major survival tactic. But survival tip number three is this. Keep fighting. We need to keep fighting. In the midst of enemy attack, our tendency is toward weariness. As wave after wave of attack comes, we eventually want to give up. Our initial vigor is gone and the adrenaline has left our system. It's really easy to think, you know, I've stood my ground for attack after attack and they still keep coming. I must be doing something wrong. But Peter ends his letter with hope. In 1 Peter 5 verse 10, he says, And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. 
Suffering a little while feels a little bit longer than we think we should have to suffer. But the words he uses after the suffering are building words. He says, God himself will restore and make you strong. He will make you firm and steadfast. God is often renovating your character as you pass through difficult circumstances. Collectively, we're facing an enemy attack, and we will continue to face enemy attacks for the rest of our lives. The enemy's goal is to cut us off from our biggest sources of strength and help. That's God and each other. His shock and awe tactic is meant for us to be focused on our fears rather than on our relationships with God and with other people. As we individually seek to grow our relationship with God and collectively build each other up, we're tapping into the resources we need in order to be different. God himself is not far. Your spiritual supply lines are not cut off. For now, our fight continues as we live in enemy territory. And remember, it makes little difference in life that you believe the enemy exists if that fact doesn't affect the way you live your life. If Satan's influence isn't factored in, we are missing a piece of the puzzle. He's not the biggest piece of the puzzle, but he is one we would be remiss to ignore. Here are some questions I would encourage you to think about. The first question is, what causes you to give in to fear? In what areas of your life are you vulnerable to enemy attack? And is there a verse that applies to that area that you can memorize that would be a help to you in the moment of attack? Here's the big idea. The enemy is real and ruthless. As Christ followers, we need to factor him into our view of reality and respond appropriately. With God's help, we can plan for his attacks. We can withstand and keep moving forward. By God's help, we can be different than the world around us, and we can advance his agenda in enemy territory. Let's pray. God, thank you that you are with us in the midst of attack. God, thank you that you have told us through your word about the enemy, and you've given us strategies and helps uh, through your word to defend and move forward. God, we pray for your help this week as we are navigating life as difficulties pop up. I pray that we would, we would turn first to you quickly in prayer. God, and as we try to move forward with you, I pray that we would factor the enemy into life and respond appropriately. With your help, God, we ask for the ability to move forward trusting you without fear. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.